that I want to highlight. One, this Wednesday, we have a worship night, and uh, it's going to be really good. How about the team this morning? They were, that was fire, right? So anyway, um, I'm cool, so I use cool, hip. Jessica Marie. Uh, Anyway, um, so if, and also if you bake things, if you know how to bake things, we need you to bake those things and bring them. 
So, and let Jessica know about that. The other thing was the life groups. You can go on, the, go on our website and sign up for a life group, please. It would be great if everyone in our church was part of a life group. I promise you it will help you and it will help us. Um, when it helps you by being connected with people and it helps us by we get to be connected with you. So it's mutually beneficial. All right? Okay. okay. So um, I, was, um, I was thinking about not saying anything about any current events. But then I thought there's been some current events in this past current, current week. Um, like, I'm just going to go over them really fast, okay? Okay. <laughs> Uh, the whole thing with, uh, with the release of everything that has happened on Twitter um, over the last few years, amazing stuff. If you're not following that, probably a good idea for you to at least be knowledgeable about what's going on there uh, because it could turn out uh, that uh, there's a shakeup within our government um, uh, over what's happened. So uh, interesting stuff. Also, isn't it congratulations to uh, Zelensky for being Time Magazine's Man of the Year? Uh, also, Hitler was uh, Time Magazine's Man of the Year at one point, so I don't know if that's a compliment. Um, <laughs> uh, what's another one? There was, there was, yeah, there was one more that I was like, yeah, I should probably say something about that. Oh, the Georgia runoff again. Elections are rigged. So anyway, um, that's all I have to say about current events. Merry Christmas! Uh, Christmas is the it's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, and I really believe that, even though that's a song, like I really, I really, really love Christmas. People are, their hearts are usually a little more tender. Um, you can say Merry Christmas to people in the store and they usually will say Merry Christmas back and they'll smile at you or they'll say shut up and go away, uh, which I get 50-50 on those. So, um, but I want to talk to you about today we're, we're in our Christmas series. We, uh, we're going to be in this Christmas series until we have one service on Christmas Day. It's a one-hour service. We do not have a Christmas Eve service. We really struggled with that. We debated about it, but it was hard to get everybody to come here. Uh, the people that, that make church happen, uh, the band and the sound guys and um, not me, because I'll come every day, I don't care. Uh, but the, the uh, g- asking everybody to volunteer again for Christmas Eve and for Christmas Day. So we're only going to take you away from uh, whatever you want to do for just a little bit, for one hour, unless maybe some of y'all want to do church. Yeah. Is that y'all? Yeah. Oh, hmm. <laughs> I really thought that was going to be a little more resounding, but okay. Uh, so uh, I guess the three of us will do church and then... <laughs> the, <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, one-hour service on Christmas morning. That's going to end our Christmas series. And then uh, the next week will be New Year's Day. Obviously, did y'all know that they changed it? So now exactly one week after Christmas is New Year's Day. You know, it's always been like that. And for some reason, there's still adults that don't know that. Uh, so weird. So Christmas, it'll be uh, New Year's Day, and we'll, we'll, we're going to do a communion on New Year's Day. It's going to be great. And then I'm going to start a series about kind of setting us up for success in the upcoming year. And... So you know, Jessica will be preaching one of the messages in January. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, Jessica can't get out of it now. I already told, I said it. It's on the internet. Like everything on the internet is true. So, um, so in our in our uh, Christmas Christmas series, I want to kind of set us up for today by talking about. Um, I I listen to podcasts and sermons and um, a, a lot of different things, and I heard this idea brought up recently, and I just want to share my thoughts on it. If you remove the Holy Spirit from reading the Bible, it can do more harm than good. If you don't believe that, then look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew the Bible inside and out, but they were not... They were not filled with the Holy Spirit. They did not have the Holy Spirit. They were not led by the Holy Spirit. So they were reading this list of rules. 
And if you, if you look at the Bible as just this non-living document, and the Holy Spirit's not interpreting the Bible for you and showing you what to believe about the truth, then you, are, you can do more harm than good to your life and to the people around you. There are many churches in our culture that push a Bible that the early church didn't have, and they, and, and they don't talk about the Holy Spirit, which the early church did have. The early church has the exact same Holy Spirit that we have access to. The exact same guy we have access to. Um, and the early church didn't have a Bible. They didn't carry Bibles around. So um, they, what they would do is they would go to synagogue once a week, and they would hear the Bible, the scrolls, read out loud. And it's just the Old Testament. Obviously, they didn't have the New Testament yet because they were, they were writing it. Like, literally, they were living it out. And so these people that didn't have a Bible turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit living in them. I saw y'all during that first song. Y'all were alive. And now I start preaching, you're like, The early church turned the world upside down, not because they carried a Bible around, but because they had the Holy Spirit living in them. Yes. And so I, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that the Bible's not important. The most important thing to ever be put on paper is the Bible. The most important words to ever be strung together is the Bible. And so we need to make sure that we understand. I talk about it week in and week out. But what I'm saying is the Bible without the Holy Spirit can do more harm than good. We have all over the country churches filled with people that have Bible knowledge, but no Holy Spirit filling. And if they have no Holy Spirit filling, they're not interpreting that. What they're doing is they're trying to live by this set of rules. The Holy Spirit, He is still active in our lives. He is still calling us to things. The, the gifts of the Holy Spirit have not ceased. They are still available to you and poured in you if you will allow it. He will not force himself on you. If you don't believe that it can do more harm than good, look at the Crusades. Look at like groups like the KKK, one of the worst groups. They thought they were doing God's work because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They, they had these, this, this Bible that were just rules, and they didn't have the living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword word cutting through the joint and marrow and soul and spirit. And, and so if you want to know why Christians are so mean. Y'all know that Christians have a reputation for being mean? Yeah. It's some of y'all. <laughs> Just to be clear, uh, not all of y'all. Some of y'all are really nice, but um, yeah, you know who you are. So the Christians, the reason Christians are so mean is because they're so full of the Bible, but they're not full of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. And if you want to know, when you, when you see people out and they're, they're just upset and they're angry it's because they don't have the joy that can only come from the infilling of the holy spirit you have to be filled with the spirit in order to have the nearness to god that we're all called to have right so we're doing a series called god with us and god is with us on the mountain he's with us in the valley he's with us in crowded streets he's with us in heb he's with us even in walmart he goes there most of the time he's in the empty no matter where you are in life um, our hope and our waiting, every single spot we're in, we are never alone because God is always with us. Y'all know that and y'all believe that, right? Our, our anchor scripture for this series is uh, Matthew one twenty three. Behold, the virgin shall... Get ready because you're going to say the last part. Um, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... Y'all were good. They could probably even hear you on the podcast. Say, that was good. So, 
we experience, uh, last week we talked about um, experiencing the presence of God even in the valleys, and the valleys are not our, our temporary, I mean, they're not our permanent destinations, they're just temporary. All valleys are just temporary. And so if you didn't hear last week's message, go back, I want to I wanna encourage you, go back and listen to it, it's really good. Um, we enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we experience Him intimately in the valleys, in the, the dark times. Um, we all know this to be true. But we still don't want the valleys. We don't want the, the uh, another metaphor that the Bible uses is wilderness. And so when we don't want wilderness experiences, how is it that we can experience God in, in these wilderness, God's presence in these wilderness experiences? Wilderness is different in, than a valley. A valley is something that you're passing through fairly quickly. A wilderness is something that lasts a little bit longer. A wilderness is a, l- a lot longer of a season. And um, the, a wilderness in the Bible is like a barren place or a dry place or a desolate place where you feel very, very alone. Oftentimes, they would be wandering through the wilderness. You know that um, in the Old Testament, when they're in the wilderness, God's people are in the wilderness for 40 years. Like you, we all know the story. Did you know that they were never more than 10 days walk from the promised land? They could have walk, got to the promised land in 10 days if they had been allowed to do that. But they were wandering in the wilderness wandering in the wilderness. And most of us, um, that are most often when uh, we're in a wilderness place, it's usually um, a time where we lack understanding of what it is that we're supposed to do next. Wandering is lacking direction or lacking um, knowledge on what God wants us to do. And uh, whenever we don't know what's next, it seems like that season just lasts longer and longer and longer, right? Whenever we don't know what we're supposed to do, we don't know where we're supposed to live, we don't know what job we're supposed to have, we don't know if, we, if we're supposed to stay in that relationship or that, a lot of times it's that friendship. You have, some of y'all have friends that you should not have anymore because you're trying to follow the Lord with your whole heart and that friend continues to invite you to do things that you should not do. You should not go to those places. And so you got to, like you're wondering whether you should cut those relationships off and yes, you should. Do it. Do it today. So, um, you know, the, the people that you're closest to in your life, they have to be going in the same direction that you're going. If they're not, you won't keep going in that direction. You may not go completely in the direction they're going, but you'll be pulled in their direction, whatever that direction is. So the people that are closest to you, your close friends, they all need to have a like mind and want to, for, for those of you in here, I'm assuming you want to follow the Lord with your whole heart. So that means your, your closest friends need to be people that are following the Lord with their, with, with their whole heart. That doesn't mean that you don't interact with other people that aren't Christians. Please understand, you have to interact with people that aren't Christians. You have to interact with people that, that are not running the same race as you or going on the same path. But when you interact with those, you keep those people at this distance so that they can't affect you and knock you off track. That you want to, you want to be able to draw them in, but not so close that they can affect where you're going, right? Are y'all with me? So, um, most often the wilderness is a place where we lack understanding of direction, um, and the wilderness stories, almost always in the Bible, wilderness stories follow mountaintop experiences. If we look at, at Jesus when he was baptized by, I call John the Baptist JTB because we're homies, um, JTB, we go way back. 
in, uh, in the Jordan River. And so, the, so when he baptizes Jesus, the heavens open up and, and the Holy Spirit descends down on Jesus in the form of a dove. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's a mountaintop experience if there ever was one, right? Like that's a, that's a really high point. And immediately after this happened, Jesus was driven into the wilderness and tempted for 40 days. Like that's the, the wilderness experience that happens right after um, and I've heard people say that, you know, they had to have Jesus fast because there's no way, the devil didn't stand a chance to tempt him if he wasn't weak from fasting. If you've ever fasted for any extended period of time, you know that spiritually you are much sharper and much stronger spiritually. You're weaker physically, like, because, you know, we like food, like, so... Um, we're weaker spiritually, I mean physically, but we're stronger spiritually. And so that's why Jesus had to be ready to fight the devil, be ready to face this temptation. So um, the mountaintop is followed by wilderness. And this happens in our lives too. Like this, this has happened to like Jess and me multiple times. Money will come into us that we were like, where did this come from? This is extra money. Look, extra and money never go together. Okay, there's no such thing as extra money. So this is money that we like we had no idea it was coming. And so because we're older and more mature now, we don't spend that money right away because what happens when you what you learn is if you have if the Lord sends you extra money that you weren't expecting, that means you gonna have an extra bill that you weren't expecting. (laughs) And that extra bill is I cannot tell you how many times that extra bill was the exact same amount as the extra money. It's, it's just miraculous how that happens. Sometimes you go through this wilderness experience. Like you, you're on the mountaintop and everything's great. Everything's going good. And then like you get a raise at work and you're like, oh, this is awesome. This is so great. Like God is good. And then, and then something happens at work and, or something happens in the economy. Like gas prices go up or something. I don't know if y'all have heard of that. But, uh, so, and then like you need that extra money. Because it, and then you, you enter into this, like, this good thing happened, and then this bad thing happened, and this good thing happened, and then this bad thing happens, and this is this seasons of wilderness, and, and sometimes those things can cause you to feel alone, those things can cause you to feel spiritually dry, they can cause you to feel like God is not there, and you get desperate in the wilderness. Here, here's something that you need to understand, that your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. That is like, I have an Old Testament story that we, we probably all know. Because you guys are, one thing about our church is y'all are all Christians. Y'all have been around church longer than me. Because a lot of you are older than me. <laughs> I love you guys. Our church is the best. Like, when I'm just... I mean, I love you guys. I'm not trying to be mean. I, but, it's, but I joke around with my friends. Y'all are my friends, so I can't help but y'all are old. So first, first Kings 19, this is a story of Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet literally on the mountaintop. He's on Mount Carmel. It's Carmel, okay, not caramel. <laughs> it's Carmel. Do y'all say caramel? Who says caramel? Raise your hand. Weirdos. Y'all probably eat pineapple on your pizza. Like weirdos. Uh, Mount, see? Mount Carmel, okay? When I'm reading the Bible, I try to make it alive, and I want to remember every bit of it. I want to memorize the verses. I want to memorize the stories. And so I will, um, I will imagine Mount Carmel, like with oozing caramel, 
going down the sides of the mountain and like you're dipping crackers in it and like or cookies crackers crackers and oh, don't get me started so so he experienced Elijah had experienced God's mighty power and then he immediately goes after this he goes from the mountaintop to the wilderness so he's desperate he's depressed he feels all alone and scared for his life First Kings 19, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Evil King Ahab, look, let me just, I'm going to warn you, I'm not talking about you. If you take this personally, then it's on you, not me. Evil King Ahab um, had been chasing Elijah for a long time. And he had an even more evil wife named Jezebel. And she got so mad. And so what this rebellious woman did is what all rebellious women do. She took over. Like she took the reins. I said, you know what? I'm going to drive this. And I will take care of it. You're supposed to be doing something. And I'm going to do it. And that's, look, if that's you, ladies, don't be a Jezebel. Okay? You're not supposed to be driving. Don't drive. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Ahab had been coming after him for years and years and years, and he was fine. Like, he's like, God, I trust you to protect me. But as soon as a woman got involved, he's like, I better run. Like, I'm scared now. So, And then he runs. Like, when he runs, he doesn't just do this short run. He ran 100 miles away. Like, that wasn't just like, let me just get away a little bit away from her. I'm going to get a lot of bit away from her. Like, I'm going to get way away. And so he ran away from this crazy, angry woman. And Elijah uh, was afraid, so he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And when he came to Beersheba, he left his servant. And, and so um, he was on the mountaintop in Carmel, Carmel, and then, uh, and then he left, and now he's in the wilderness out in, in Beersheba, and he's alone, and he's scared, and he's hurting, and he's desperate. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Is this bothering y'all? Do you, we need to do something about this? It's, it's bothering me. I just don't know. The only reason, like the mic is cutting in and out. Um, the only reason I, this affects is because of the podcast. So I got to do the thing I always do. We moved. Look, I... We moved everything that there is to, we got a new mic and all right, here we go. Is that better? Yeah. All right. So this one won't cut out. Um, and so he, he gets to this point where in the wilderness, he gets to this point that a lot of us get to, and he's just like, you know, I, I've had enough Lord, like I've, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. Some of us will think, you think your battle is the worst battle. Your battle is unique. Like you have it worse than, if you look around the room, you're like, yeah, all these people have it better than me. Only one of you has it the worst. And everybody else has it at least better than that person. Like you don't have it the worst. It's most likely you don't have it. You can always find people that have it worse than you. And so at, at, at one point, Elijah was this courageous and confident warrior doing these great things for God. And now here he is saying, 
I've had enough. Like I, I just, I can't do it. And how many of us have said that exact same thing? We can look back in our life and say, yeah, everything was going great. And now I just, I don't know. Like I, and you'll start to condemn yourself for that because you're, you're at this point where it's a wilderness experience and you're, you're at this spot and you're like, I must be rebellious or something. The wilderness is very important because the wilderness often becomes a gift when it drives you to the Lord. Like, right? Y'all believe that, right? So um, you could be in here right now or you could be listening online and, and right now you're in a wilderness experience. You can look back on your life and, and see how uh, you used to be so confident. You used to know what you were doing. You used to know that God would deliver you. And now you're like, I don't know. Like, I just, I can't take this anymore. You used to be financially stable, and now you're like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Like, I'm, you're just in a wilderness. You used to trust your mate, and now you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust them. And you used to love your job, and now you just, you feel overwhelmed, and like you, you're at the end of, of yourself, and the end of yourself is a great place to be because that's where he starts. We talked about this last week, but that's where God can finally step in. When you stop doing it, you stop trying to do it on your own, and you just let Him, that's where God says, okay, now we can get to start getting these things fixed. Now that you stop messing it up, we can start getting them fixed. And so this is exactly what happened to Elijah. Elijah gets to himself. He had definitely experienced the presence of God, and he had done great things for God. He had fought with bravery and boldness. He stood down this evil king Ahab. He, he had prophesied, and he called for a drought as punishment because Ahab was a really bad king. He called for a drought as punishment, and then uh, the, the, drought, the rain stops. God stopped the rain. And then King Ahab gets mad at him, and he sends all his forces. And so Elijah somehow is able to hide for three years, and God protects him. And then he miraculously feeds him with food from ravens, bringing him meat. And like just it's beautiful over and over and over how God protected and delivered Elijah. And Elijah raised a dead boy. Elijah fought the 850 prophets of Baal, and that's a really great story. If you don't know that story, please go read that story. It's really funny because at one point he's like, where's your God? Where's this? Where's your prophet? Where He must be on the toilet or something. Like, <laughs> like that's so cool. It's like, that's something I would say. They're like, oh, where's your God? He's like, he's pooping or what? Like, where is he? Donde esta? Where is he? And so uh, he, so he, and then, and then God sends out fire from consumes the altar, and it's just beautiful. And Elijah eventually asked God to make it rain again, and God, because God is faithful, God makes it rain. And Elijah experienced the protection, the provision, and the presence of God, and then one woman comes along and screams out a threat, and he's like, I better run. Like, run. So, and so maybe, I mean, maybe you're tired. Like, maybe you're in this, like, in the, the, the last couple of years have caused a lot of people to be tired. And and not only have you had to, some of us have kind of fought against everything that's come against us and like just been ready, like hand on the sword, ready to fight at all times. And some of us just kind of, because you get tired of fighting, just kind of go with the flow. Some of us are like, you're tired right now because of what's happening culturally or geopolitically or the things that are there. And you just get, you just get tired. And, you know, if you're tired, it's okay to rest. You know it's okay to rest, right? Um, many times, though, um, when you're tired, you're misdiagnosing what the fix for that is. You just want to close in and, and keep the world away and, and like just kind of keep to yourself. And you think that you know what your real need is, but it's not what you think. 
Sometimes you, some of y'all need a nap. Like some of y'all, you're just cranky in the afternoons and you really do. Like that really is the cure. You just need a nap. Like Jessica tells me often, you need a nap. Like go take a nap, please. Um, but some of you are absolutely, you're spiritually depleted. You need a spiritual replenishment. When you're spiritually depleted, a nap's not going to do anything for you. It's going to make your body feel rested, but it's not going to make your spirit feel rested. You're, you're, you're not just tired. You're, you're not just overwhelmed. You really need an encounter with the very real, very present, very holy God. And that's what you need. So you need an intimate moment where, where you experience the grace and the goodness and the loving kindness and the mercy and the presence of God. Maybe you do need physical rest, and you should take physical rest. Physical rest is a good thing. Don't listen to the culture telling you you're supposed to work 24-7. Okay, you can rest. And some of you are like, well, that's how I enjoy myself is working. Shut up. Like, rest. I'm not going to talk about the people that live in my house always working. But some just take a rest, please. Um, more... More than, than just taking a physical rest is, is just resting in Him and taking a rest in the Lord. So when you need an encounter, one of the best things you can do is just enter into worship. Like set some time apart and enter into worship. We're going to have that available Wednesday night at 6.30. Be here. So you should come to Wednesday night because we're going to have some intimate worship. It's, we usually have three or four songs. It's going to be more than that. You're going to have more time to enter in and worship God. And you're going to be around other people who are also wanting to worship God. It's going to be great. Please come Wednesday. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. Not just tired are worn out. We need the restoration of the grace of God to our souls. So what does Elijah, what does he do for Elijah? He doesn't preach him a sermon. He doesn't say, Elijah, you're in this predicament because you rebelled against me and you, you should not have done that. He doesn't punish him. He doesn't give him verses to memorize. He asks him a question. He says, you know, he's like, well, where's your faith? Like, what are you doing here, Elijah? It goes on. He said, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. You know, sometimes if you're in tune to the voice of the Lord, he will tell you to get up and eat. And that's the good ones. Like, get up and eat pizza. It's like, yes, Lord. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread, probably keto-friendly bread, baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and then he laid down again. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just rest in the presence of the Lord. That's like... That's life-changing, resting in the presence, and you just let him restore your soul. And it's not about you making sure you have your list of all the things that are wrong in your life and all the things that you want him to fix. Look, just shut up and just rest in him. When I say shut up, I mean stop praying, stop talking, stop singing, and just rest in him and let him restore your soul. Sometimes you do need to articulate it. Sometimes you do need to say the things. But sometimes just rest in him. Be quiet and rest in him. Be still and know that he is God. It goes on. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. I don't know if you're like me. Some of y'all are. But sometimes he has to say it more than once. Like So he comes back again, and, and he comes back a second time, and sometimes... He comes back to me a third and fourth and 57th time. And, and, you know, if you can look back on your life from now all the way back to the past, can, how many times can you look back and say, 
God was trying to get my attention then. Like, I can see that God was actually speaking to me, and I just wasn't listening. And, and now I can see it, but I, I missed it over and over and over and over and over. And the great thing about our God is he just keeps coming back. He will keep coming back. The bad thing about that is when you answer on the fifth time he came, you're going to immediately know that those first four times he was saying something to you then. And if you had just listened then, how much heartache and how much brokenness and how much wilderness would you have been able to, to uh, get away from or get through, right? So the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Look, I could preach a thousand sermons on the journey is too much for you. Uh, have you ever heard someone say, the Lord will never give you more than you can handle? You ever heard someone say that? And then you think about like this morning when you were like you were trying to get to church and like oh you couldn't handle today on your own. Now this this statement is true in context, but it's not true with just by itself that the Lord will never give you more than you can handle. This presupposes that God gives you some bad things sometimes. Like if your child, your own child was being really really bad, would you cause your child to get sick? Would you make your child get sick? What if your kid was being real bad? What about really, really bad? No, you would never make your child get sick. And <laughs> sick of these hands. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so if you being an earthly parent who you're nowhere near as good as God would not, would not force your child to get sick, why would you think God does that? You, when you say God will never give you more than you can handle and this bad stuff that's happening in my life, God put it here so that I could grow. That's not, that's not how it works. That's not how God operates with us. Does he allow things to come against us? Does he allow things to come against us? You know how you can know for sure that God allows things to come against us? Because things come against you. That's how you know God lets it happen. Because God is sovereign. Y'all believe God is sovereign, right? I think we all believe that. So um, without context, the statement of the Lord will never give you more than you can handle is not true. Um, you run into stuff all the time that you can't handle on your own. Jesus said it like this so that this is the secret of how to overcome anything that comes against us, anything in life that comes against us. God can take that thing and turn it around for your good. For those who love him and are called according to those purposes, God turns all things. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's in Romans 8. Trust me, it's the truth. Jesus said it like this. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way we get through all of the challenges is we are yoked with Jesus. We know what a yoke is. If you think about two, two oxen and they're yoked together, you have this thing that goes across their shoulders and it goes to the other ones. The, the way we are able to overcome, the way that we know we can make it through is because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The yoke is on him and it's on us. He is the one that is strong enough to overcome. He is the one that carries it. That's how we know that we can make it through because he's carrying it. You know, it's funny. It's like if, uh, if a little kid's helping. The, the kids around here like to help. 
And so we like to let them help. And so we're carrying like a ladder or something and the kids are helping and they're like, they can, they're barely touching it. That's you and Jesus. Like Jesus is carrying the yoke and he's like, oh, look at you. Like you're not doing anything. Like you're not doing it. You're probably holding it down, making it harder for Jesus to carry. He's like, okay, stop it. You're not helping. Like that's, that's us. Like when we're partnered with and submitted to Jesus and we're letting him lead, then the yoke goes where he wants it to go and we go where he wants it to go. But when we're yoked with Jesus, everywhere I go, he goes and everywhere he goes, I go, right? Paul said it like this. He said, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. That tells you the problems you're facing is not, this is not the first time in history that someone faced those problems. You think it's unique to you, that your struggle, because all you can see is your problem. All you can see is your struggle. It's not unique to you. It's common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And this is where people get the whole, um, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. They say, God is faithful. He will, not, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Since when did God get in the tempting business? God, does God tempt us? Does God test us? No. No, listen. Here's why. Maybe you've thought all your life, that, yeah, God tests us sometimes. God doesn't need to test you. He already knows you're going to fail. Like, no matter what the test is, he knows you're going to fail. So why would he test you? He doesn't test you. He will, now, he will allow things to come into your life so that you can see what happens when you don't rely on him totally. Sometimes he'll allow those things to happen. Even if you are relying on him totally, he will allow those things to happen so that you'll be drawn closer to him. But he doesn't need to tempt you. What does he need to tempt you for? He already knows that you're going to fail that temptation or you're going to pass that temptation. Probably fail, though, right? Like, just be honest. So um, he says, uh, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure. God will never allow anything to happen to you that you cannot handle if you're yoked to Jesus and you allow him to show you the way out. Because that's what he says here. He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. So it's only through him. He's the one that's overcoming, right? First Kings 19 says, So he got up and ate and drank. Sounds like a good day. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's how I imagine he said it. What are, what are you doing here? Maybe you can look at where you are in your life right now, and you can hear God asking, what do you, how did you get here? How did you get where you are right now spiritually? Like, how did you get so far from where you were? How did you get to the spot in your life where you're in the wilderness? Like, this was not a wilderness that he had designed for you, and somehow you're here. How did you get to this place in your life? Or how did you, how did you get to this place in your faith? You've been running away from God and running away from people and running away from church and running away from the things that God has called you to. You've been running from the calling he has in your life because you're scared. That's where, that's where Elijah is. God calls him to do something. He, he's, he's been there serving him, and then he gets scared and he runs. What are you running from? What has God called you to do when you're running from it? Because you're scared? Like, like you're going to be the one. You're going to be the first one in history that God failed on, right? Like, finally, you got here. God can make his first error. I don't think so. I think if he's called you to do something, then your fear is unfounded. Your fear is like, that's an imaginary scenario that you're playing out in your head. Will it be scary? Absolutely. Absolutely. Will he deliver? Absolutely. 
Because he always does. Because he is good. Are y'all with me? He replied, I have been very, imagine this in whiny prophet voice, okay? (laughs) I've been very zealous. I can't do it. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Like he thinks, he's, he's like, look, I've been working hard for you. I've done everything for you, Lord. Why don't you hear my prayer? Why aren't you doing something for me? Why don't you do this thing for me? He's in a spiritual wilderness with a need so great that all he can see is his problem. Y'all don't ever get like this, but some people get to where they get so close to their problem that that's the only thing they can think about is their problem. The only thing they can see, they see everything through the lens of that issue. If it's a financial issue, you can't even see how you're going to make it to the end of the year because I'm just not, we're not going to make it. Somehow, I think you are. You've made it to this point. God didn't bring you here just to bring you here. Like he's got some, he's got a plan for you and it's a good plan, a plan to see you prosper, a plan to see you, give you a hope. And prosper doesn't necessarily mean money, just to be clear in case you thought it was that kind of church. So um, you think that you're in this wilderness and nobody understands and nobody's doing what I'm doing. I'm all alone. I'm desperate. And God's response to, to Elijah is the same, same way he responds to us. He, he meets our deepest need and he brings he brings healing in the middle of hurt. Your deepest need can become a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Your deepest need is actually a, a gift that he gives you because it drives you to depend on him. And the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And then Elijah's like, yes, what I need more than anything is I just need God's presence. So he's going he's gonna to show up in this really big way. I need God's presence. I'm scared for my life. I just need to see that he's here and he's here in a mighty way. And so he says, um, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains, um, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I love this because it's like earth, wind, and fire. Earth, wind, and fire. Do you remember? That's, it's a it's a band from the seventies. If you're if you have no idea what we're talking about, then enjoy your youth. <clears throat> and after the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. Have you ever wondered why, in the middle of our like toughest circumstances, that God shows up and his and his voice is quiet? It's you think. You know, if God wants us to know that he's there, why isn't he shouting? Why isn't he yelling out, here I am. I'm here to deliver you. That's not what he does. He, he, he doesn't speak in a loud and powerful and spectacular voice. Um, if he, or we think if he wants us to know, like he's, he's got to do something big. He's got to be in the fire. He's got to be in the earthquake. He's got to be in the wind. He's got to be. The reason that God whispers, listen to this clearly, because this could change your whole life. The reason that God whispers is because he's so close. The reason God doesn't yell 
is because why would you yell at someone that's right next to you? He doesn't have to whisper. That's Satan's tactic. Satan yells out and tries to blind us from the truth, and he, he is louder than everything else so that we, are, we are, are, are listening to that and believing that that's the biggest message, and it's just not. God doesn't shout to get your attention. He whispers to draw you close. If, if you're having a conversation with someone, and then the person that y'all are talking about, because that's what y'all do all the time, they, the person you're talking about walks in the room, and that, then one of y'all will start whispering, like, oh, you know what you do when someone starts whispering? The first thing you do when you're talking to someone and they say something lower, the very first thing you do is you lean in because you want to hear it. You lean in. And that's why God whispers in the middle of our storms. He's there. And he whispers so that we'll lean in. When we lean in, that's when we know that he's there. When you can feel his heartbeat because he's so close. When you, when you, when you just know and y'all know what I'm talking about. You've been that close before. You know that feeling. And he whispers because he's close. And what does he say? It's like, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I love you. You're my kid. I love you. I'm with you in the storm. I'm with you in the wilderness. I'm with you in the valley. I'll never leave you. I'm always going to be here. He whispers. Because he's right there. And he's always going to be right there. No matter how hard you wiggle and run, he's always going to be right there. And if your heart is broken, you want to know where God is when your heart's broken? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close so he can whisper to you. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, again, going through the valley, not staying in the valley, that's not your destination. I will fear no evil. Why will I fear no evil? Because you're with me. You're with me the whole time. In the valley, you're with me always with me. Why does God whisper to his sheep? Because he knows their names and they know his voice. You want to know how to get through. You want to know how to, to know where, what the next thing is, how to get out of the wilderness, how to not wander and wander. It's to spend time with him to re, to, so that you can recognize his voice. Because we have a lot of voices going on in our culture and in our head. You got a lot of voices in your head? You got a lot of voices trying to get us to go in a direction we're not supposed to go that direction. If you know his voice, you'll know exactly what you're supposed to do. The only way to be able to recognize his voice is by spending time with him. If we can be in a crowded room, everybody can be talking. Everybody in here could be talking at the same time. And if Jessica says, babe, I know exactly that's, a, that's her because I recognize her voice. That's, I've spent more time with that voice than any. That voice has griped at me more than any other voice in all of history. It's, it's the most... It's the most important voice that I can hear with my ears in my, in my life. And so I recognize that voice. When you spend time with the Lord, you will recognize his voice. So in Psalm 139, uh, David said, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He is so close. God is so close that one day you're going to look back and discover that at a time when you had your deepest need, that that struggle was the greatest gift because it drove you to him. 
And the reason your relationship is what it is is because you went through that wilderness experience and you were able to draw close to him because God is with us. He is with us now. He's whispering to you right now what it is that you should do, how to get out of the wilderness. He's whispering what, what it is that the future that he has for you is, not the future you have planned, the future he has planned, and it is way better than the future that you have planned. Amen. God, we thank you so much uh, that you continue to just whisper to our souls. Let us be a people who are shutting out all of the other sounds. People that are, are content to just sit in silence at your feet and just wait for you to speak. That we will not allow anything to steal your voice, but that we will focus in. Let you restore our soul. Where we have come to wilderness experiences, we want to, to reap every benefit from those w wilderness experiences that we know that those things cause us to draw close, closer to you. And we thank you for those things. We rejoice for those things. We, God, we just want to be a church that is here in this community to draw people to you. Show us what it is that we're supposed to do, and we will do that thing. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.